Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the next episode of Martin Lechka's Safe Bet Show. As you can see, our today's guest, and we're very grateful to have him with us today, and also very honored is Mr. Cam Adair. Thanks for being with us today, Cam. Thanks so much for having me. I'm truly honored to be here. Our pleasure. As I'm sure most of you well know, Cam is the founder and CEO of Game Quitters, which is an organization that provides education and recovery programs, in particular in the field of esports and video gaming, to an impressive number of members, namely over 75,000 members all around the world, 95 countries. He also happens to be director of R&D at another organization that focuses on education and clinical training programs, namely Intenta. And in the past, he's been spending his time very productively with an organization called Kingpin. Cam, welcome again. It's great to have you. And perhaps, because we usually start these pod podcasts Talking about people's favorite sports and ice hockey or hockey, if you will, is certainly one of my favorite sports. And you played competitive hockey for over 15 years. I only managed to do one or two years. So you already are well ahead of me in terms of this game. But on a much more serious note, those 15 years of competitive hockey, what skills did you learn in the process that have ultimately clearly helped you to build a very successful career in the mental health space? I'm truly grateful for my experience playing hockey. I remember at the time I was playing competitive hockey, our coaches often shared with us that the skills we were learning in hockey would help us be better in business and be more successful in other endeavors in the future. And to really take that kind of mindset into hockey as a way of kind of improving your personal development uh, seriously. And at the time, I thought, you know, that's probably true. But what's been interesting for me is to actually look back now and look at my life and look at, you know, the things I've been able to accomplish and see just how impactful hockey actually was for me. So one simple example I can use is that uh, pre-COVID, much of my life was traveling internationally, speaking at events, you know, full-time. And, you know, the year before COVID, this schedule was very intense because I was based in Thailand with my girlfriend, and then I would be traveling to Australia and speaking and then going to the U.S. and speaking. And it was a lot of travel. But my training in hockey that I learned how to prepare for a game, how to get mentally focused on the game that's coming up, how to kind of adapt during the game to situations that don't always go according to plan. Like your flight is delayed and you have to now change uh, your plans and you have to kind of keep your head in the game. But also even being tired or in hockey, being injured, still showing up and performing and being a professional, those mindsets uh, have really helped me a lot throughout my, my kind of business career. And it's not always been something that I've been conscious of, but when I do reflect on it, I can see just how much that training in hockey has really led me to be more successful today. So once again, the coaches, just like mothers and directors, have been absolutely right and helped Cam to deliver what is a truly impressive career. And he's uh, 
most definitely he most definitely has a, a lot ahead of him stick into hockey for just a second i'm sure as a former professional hockey player you continue following the game so would you mind giving me and the audience your take on the latest developments in the game the clear bias at least in the national hockey league towards young speedy gonzalez like players and also and i will use that as a transition between the hockey topic and the topic we do really want to talk about today, i.e. video gaming, esports and mental health. What is your take on the still very recent Evander Kane story? It's an important question and I think the Evander Kane story really just illustrates the importance of professional athletes and even amateur athletes being educated on issues around gambling, around gaming, around mental health, and really being able to help these athletes who are some of the most talented, skilled players in the world be able to live successful lives outside the game as well. And over the last few years, not just with Evander Kane and you know gambling, but in many professional leagues, there have been stories of teams really struggling with this new phenomenon of gaming. Because on the road, for instance, gaming is now used as a way to kind of stay in touch with family back home, or it's a way that players are kind of spending time together, uh, you know, when they're on, on the road and they're in hotel rooms. And there's been some stories that have come out that have shared how teams have even gone as far to ban video games on road trips because it was hurting team morale because players weren't spending as much time interacting and engaging and some athletes have even come forward to share that their gaming has impacted the focus they had on their career so neil robertson who's uh one of the world champions in snooker he shared that he really reflects back on all the times he's staying up late playing video games and really wonders you know how much of an impact that had on his career overall so it really just goes to show the importance of education not just for amateurs but also professionals and i also believe as we go forward and more and more young people have been gaming for you know since a very young age that is the next generation of professional athletes and so being able to understand this topic and how to stay safe is very important absolutely i cannot agree more Having said that, I've never been a big believer in, in blanket bans. So what would be your view on uh, what you've just described, i.e. the fact that some professional teams, I would assume largely because they would have had no choice, had to have recourse to blanket bans on gaming within the team. Do you think that there could be, you know, to flip that argument on its hat, there could be an element of those athletes who are used to using these games as a form of relaxation that they may be missing out and actually their concentration might be affected because they are they no longer have an opportunity to let off steam while gaming absolutely and i think that gaming just as a topic is so fascinating because it is so complex in the nba last year when a number of the teams went to what they called the playoff bubble. Gaming actually ended up being a source of solace for many players to stay in touch with family back home when they were gone for many months at a time. And some players even shared that it really helped them be able to cope with the 
quarantine-like conditions that they were under for such a long period of time. And so I think that gaming really is this uh, incredible platform where for many individuals, it's such a positive in their life, even professional athletes. And then for some other individuals, it can be very disruptive. And the area I'm really interested to pay attention to is as gaming becomes more of a platform for live streaming and community engagement and as professional athletes and teams and organizations continue to use that platform to engage with fans and to kind of be able to just express themselves in a different creative outlet i'm curious to see how that impacts uh, traditional sports there's another area which is esports where young people are i think more and more going to focus on trying to be professional gamers and spending less time in more traditional sports like American football, where there are concussion concerns. And so I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how long before we begin to see the impact on traditional sports and attendance as well. Indeed, just like many other things in life, it's never black and white, which is also great for this podcast because we'll have a lot to talk about. So if I now may touch upon, because we won't have enough time on this podcast to discuss it in excruciating detail, but if I indeed may touch upon the topic of video gaming and esports, and it goes without saying that competitive video gaming and esports have truly attracted millions to their keyboards, joysticks, other types of controllers. And the same goes for spectators. You know, spectators fill up arenas all around the world to watch top-notch professional esports athletes to do what they do best. So in your view, where do you think this gaming, video gaming esports revolution, where is it all, all headed? And to pick up one, on one of the points you have just alluded to, do you believe that at some point in the future, it may even take over traditional sport in terms of popularity. I certainly think that we're headed that direction. So to give some context, today I'm 33 years old and you know I started gaming when I was 11 years old. So about 20 years ago. Now, when I was a player, I guess around 18 years old, there were still very, very few professional uh, gaming outlets for people to develop careers. There were a few uh, leagues and such in Korea, specifically around the game StarCraft, but that was about it. There was a little bit of Counter-Strike, but now there are even scholarships for kids in high school and university to be able to go and pursue their dream of being a professional player. The aspect of, of esports that I think is also uh, fairly underrated is that if you look at traditional sports, so we have the big leagues, we have you know football, American football, hockey, basketball, you know globally cricket and rugby might kind of fall into those categories, tennis, but outside of those major sports, it's not like a new sport comes along and becomes on the same level of viewership and economics as those other traditional sports. Whereas a game like Fortnite comes out a couple years ago, and then Fortnite World Cup is one of the biggest esports events 
globally. And that's just Fortnite. New games come out all the time. Last year, it was Valorant that now has an entire uh, infrastructure from not just professional leagues, but also amateur leagues as well, and opportunities for students to pursue their passion. So when we're really looking at how exponential gaming and esports can be, I really think that the comparison between traditional sports only having a few major sports to pursue and gaming, which really every year there could be a new game that has that entire infrastructure developed, I really think that in the future, gaming and esports will be much more prominent than traditional sports. Certainly very attractive to the younger generations, as Cam has just explained. I have to say that many, many moons ago, I did spend a lot of time playing StarCraft. I never became professional, so I have to apologize to Cam, because uh, you're being interviewed by a failed hockey player and a failed gambler, gambler rather, and... Uh, gamer and all this drove me into to make it even worse becoming a gambling lawyer anyway i shall digress we've talked about the massive rise of video gaming and esports but let's please in this context also look at what potentially could be called the dark or darker side of, of esports and video gaming and something that you have been most certainly heavily involved with and that's mental health issues that gamers might develop while while gaming and uh, you have been at the forefront of all this fight for a number of years so in your view what are the achievements of the likes of yourself and many others that have been leading the charge but uh, at the same time is there anything that could have been done better and even more importantly going forward what more needs to be done to ensure that it's all hunky-dory from both the mental health and also consumer and player protection perspective well optimistically Things like, you know, an important milestone would be the World Health Organization recognizing gaming disorder for inclusion in the ICD-11, which is their classification of diseases. Now, I think that's such an important milestone for, for a number of reasons. First, when I was going through my own struggle around this topic, I would have never even dreamed of official recognition by the World Health Organization. And so to see how that has progressed is really inspiring and speaks to the research that's out there on the topic, the people working on the front lines, and also what people are seeing for individuals or families coming forward seeking help, which that lived experience perspective, I think, is always very important to consider because when someone's coming forward saying, I'm struggling with an issue, whatever that issue is, I think it's always important to just meet that person and say, how can we help? and offer support in whatever way that we can instead of kind of judging whether or not their experience is valid. So I think that's always important to consider. Another important milestone though, I think is just the overall uh, acceptance within the gaming community of a conversation around mental health and the importance of mental health for the gaming community. Gaming disorder has often kind of been maybe one of those issues pushing that topic along, but also gamers are a very diverse group of people. There's over 3 billion gamers 
active gamers worldwide these days. And so gamers themselves are going to be impacted by a number of different issues around their mental health, whether it's depression, anxiety, social anxiety, ADHD, being on the autistic spectrum. And gaming offers this platform to be able to engage this audience and support them moving along. So it doesn't have to be just directly that gaming is causing a problem. Gaming could just be a dynamic and a platform to be able to engage them as well. So I think those are the two real milestones that I look at is just the openness to have that conversation and actual recognition by you know, a public health perspective. But going forward, we need more research and we need more organizations being willing to kind of contribute and help drive this conversation forward. Not one that's gaming is bad, but one that gaming can be this platform for a lot of good if we help players stay safe and if we help them prioritize their mental health and not make gaming the only you know, all-consuming thing that they're doing, then we'll be all right. Fingers crossed, although I'm sure that we will be, perhaps on personal or personal player level, because it does take a lot of courage to come forward with mental health issues, not only in connection with video gaming and esports, in many other walks of life. Is there anything else that the likes of the two of us, uh, but also the title publishers, the gaming and gambling companies could be doing to help or even incentivize those gamers who may be struggling to come forward with their issues to a help themselves but also b use their own experience to help others out there that perhaps would need a little more nudging to come forward with their issues well i think the gaming community itself is very much the first line of defense around these issues uh most gamers who play, they know other gamers who are struggling in some way, shape, or form. Doesn't mean all those gamers are struggling with, say, excessive gaming as an example, but it could be any mental health issue that's occurring. If we look at an issue like bullying, for instance, what was so effective about kind of preventing or reducing bullying around the world was encouraging peers to speak up. If you see someone being bullied, say, hey, stop that. If you're being the bully, stop doing that. Stop kind of being a part of the group and picking on someone. But really it was about speaking up and holding your peers accountable and getting uh, mentors or teachers or, or people who are more equipped to deal with these issues involved if you see it. And I think the gaming community itself has such a powerful role to play in this, to be able to identify peers in the community who may be struggling and then encourage them to seek help and the gaming industry can be providing more resources for those individuals who need that support to be able to find it. Uh, I guess I'll give a, a specific example. So on Instagram, there's a known hashtag where kind of suicide discussion takes place. It's called hashtag Sue. Now, if you search hashtag Sue on Instagram, a pop-up prompt will appear and it will say, hey, this is a known hashtag for suicide discussion. Are you in crisis? Do you need help? Do you need to speak to someone? If so, click this button and we will direct you there. Or if you just wanna go and you wanna have these discussions, 
then just click out of the prompt and you won't be prevented from going into the discussion. I think this sort of pattern interrupt is a great example because it's not saying, hey, we're going to prevent you from talking about this subject, because in that case, people will just go somewhere else where they can. But it's just meeting that individual in the moment saying, hey, are you unsafe and do you need help? Because if you are, we can help guide you to get help and to be safe again. I think the gaming industry from a technology standpoint could be utilizing some more of this sort of preventative prompt pattern interrupt or even just kind of marketing initiatives around supporting players' mental health, encouraging peers to speak up, and encouraging people to get that help if that's what they need. There's absolutely no doubt about that in my mind, talking about seeking and providing helps and actually an excellent segue into my next question about the organization that you launched back in 2014, namely Game Quitters. Could you tell us a little more how it all works and what uh, the objectives of the organization are? Game Quitters really started, uh, you know, when I shared my story in 2011 about my struggles around this topic. I just shared kind of my story, my experience, what kind of helped me kind of get through it. And really, it was just an opportunity to encourage uh, anyone else out there who was struggling to be heard. They weren't alone. There was someone else like me out there struggling as well. And what happened was we began to hear from like hundreds and thousands of people that were saying, I'm also struggling with this issue and I want some help. And at the time, you know, I knew how to build a website. I knew how to kind of create a forum. And so that's what we did. We just tried to create a space where we could have these discussions amongst peers and support each other accordingly. And over 10 years now, that's sort of evolved into having a YouTube channel with a lot of resources around these topics, having peer communities, not just for gamers, but also parents, having our clinical training program for professionals, and just continuing to do campaigns like the one that we're working on with Intain called Mind Your Game, really trying to, to share more information about not just gaming, but also gambling and just how to have positive mental health overall. Cam has just managed to steal my thunder because I was going to ask, <laughs> I told him before yeah. the interview about the Mind Your Game. I took your segue. Mind Your yeah. Game campaign, which is something, which is the first project, hopefully first of many, that uh, Cam and I and our respective organizations have started working on together. So please do watch this space because uh, I'm sure that the two of us with our teams will come up with something else. But let me ask another question then, or a different question. You mentioned parents of gamers. It could be parents, it could be loved ones, it could be friends. And I believe that it still gets rather underestimated the role of the loved ones in terms of being able to help those who may be struggling with mental health issues and I suppose at the same time I would suggest it needs to be a two-way traffic because I can imagine that somebody who's a gamer be it a professional or amateur gamer might be in a much better position than most of us to be able to identify gaming or gambling problems in people and 
he may very easily, that's what I meant by two-way traffic, realize that actually one of his loved ones may have this issue. So what do you think or what else needs to be done so that this two-way traffic, as I've described it, gets even more efficient in particular from training and education perspective? Well, families are certainly overwhelmed around the topic and uh, I have a lot of compassion for them because parents very much are the first generation having to actually manage and navigate these sorts of technology being so central to our lives and kids being on technology so much and just the complexity of those issues. So I receive a lot of emails from parents who are at varying stages of this process. Some are just you know, early on want to make sure they're educated so they can prevent these issues, which I think is incredibly important. And other families who have kind of all, you know, all of a sudden realized like there's a serious problem here and it's very difficult to be able to shift. So I think first parents really need more education and they need it earlier on. And it needs to be more widespread. Currently, parents are able to find this information if they're seeking it themselves, but I think many parents uh, may underestimate the strength of a relationship with technology that can be developed. And when they begin to see problems, it now has already become much more difficult to be able to, to reduce instead of preventing in the first place. So education in schools, having parent education nights, being able to provide resources uh, for families, like say, for instance, back to school is here, and being able to provide parents with here's some resources to navigate gaming and screen time as we go into the school year. So really being able to help them develop these skills and have these tools and have these resources to be able to implement these strategies effectively instead of just them having to kind of find it on their own uh, once there's already been a problem. And I, I also do think that parents uh, need to take this seriously. They need to really be more firm in implementing these strategies. They need to have, you know, very consistent and effective boundaries and they need additional support. If both parents are working jobs, for instance, that makes it much more difficult for them to be at home monitoring screen time or uh, excessive gaming. And so there's the solution is more uh, dynamic than just, you know, they need to understand these issues. It's if both parents are, are completely overworked with multiple jobs, there's obviously going to be consequences of that as well. Ladies and gentlemen, before I give Cam a chance to relay his key messages, let me delve into one final topic, which may be rather philosophical. Besides being a former competitive hockey player and a professional gamer and also clearly an incredibly knowledgeable and aspiring person uh, regarding mental health issues in connection with video gaming and esports. Cam also happened to have featured on a number of TV stations around the world talking about these issues, including CNN's program about all of us being slaves to our screens. And I certainly do spend an unholy time on my screen myself, ranging from internet gaming to doing my work, to talking to my family, to occasional non-competitive gaming. So Cam, do you believe that we are truly slaves to our screens? And if we are, 
what impact does it have on our mental health? Terms like slave to screens or uh, digital dementia is another one that I've seen. I, I'm not a big fan of those kind of, uh, it's like the apocalypse is here kind of terminology. I, I do think that certainly most people, especially after COVID, are spending an excessive amount of time on screens. You need to these days. Meetings are on Zoom. Interviews like this self, this one, uh, you know, email, and no longer kind of being in the office. Remote working changes a lot of the boundaries around work and life, and just people trying to stay connected and stay in the know with the news. So we spend more and more time on our screens, on our devices, and on some level that's a positive thing. On the other hand there's this beautiful world around us outside our screens that is really nice to enjoy as well. So I think everyone needs to find their own balance with it. They need to be reflecting on it. And just remember, it's a work in progress. Even as a speaker on this subject, having balanced screen time is a challenge that I continuously have to work on and find little ways to be able to keep that in balance for myself. So personally, every Saturday, I no longer work and I don't even really look at my phone most of the day, maybe check my email in the morning and at night. And otherwise, you know, my phone is kind of in a bag and, and I'm not really looking at it for the entire day. During the week, I might be on my computer most of the day. And so there's that balance there. Uh, but you have to kind of find your own little ways to keep it in balance and just continue to work at it because some days are going to be better than others, but the importance of it is crucial. That's admirable discipline. Congratulations on that to wrap the... It's been a very big work in progress. <laughs> like I can imagine yeah. to wrap the proceedings up and to give Cam a chance to shine even more. Although I appreciate it's usually unfair, but I will give you a minute, please, to convey your key messages to our audience about what we've discussed today. So the floor is yours. Well... Thank you again for having me. It's a true honor. And I guess the key message I always just like to share is that issues around technology, gaming, gambling, these are issues that are around us. They impact the people in our lives. And uh, at the same time, these activities are things that millions of people enjoy and find benefit from. And so it's not so much about is one activity good or bad. It's really just about understanding your own personal relationship to these activities and how they interact with your life. If you are out there and you're struggling with these issues, know that you're not alone and know that seeking help can be incredibly powerful. The thing that really saved my life was recognizing I had a problem and then seeking the help of a counselor and having that professional guidance to really help me forward. I believe, say, I believe asking for help saved my life and I, I truly believe it can save yours. So if you're out there and you're struggling, ask for help, there's no shame in it and it can really make a difference. And otherwise, if you're playing games or you're gambling and you're not having problems, then enjoy the game, but stay safe and have fun. Hey man, thank you very much, Cam. We were truly privileged to have you today, ladies and gentlemen. This was the Graham Came Adair. I'm Martin Lechka, and this was the sixth episode of the Safe Bet Show. Take good care and see you next time. <laughs>